Hello and welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk to the faces behind your books. I'm Nathan Van Coops, and today I have a very special guest. I have a narrator and audio engineer, Jamie Matler. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, for anyone who is, is watching uh, any of the links live, um, we did have to have a little bit of a restart, so um, apologies for you know, anyone who's following this link and, and had trouble finding it in the beginning. But um, we are very excited to uh, chat with Jamie today because uh, Jamie is a, a talented professional and, and voice actor and engineer and is here to help uh, shed some light on the audiobook industry for us, especially those of us as, as readers and as writers who uh, want to learn more about this, this process. So um, thank you so much for, for being here, Jamie. I really appreciate it. No, I'm excited. <laughs> um, you and I have, have a, a professional relationship already because you have narrated one of my books, which I am thrilled about, which it turned out uh, so amazingly. I'm, I'm really excited about it. Um, but for those of people who don't know you already, could you mm -hmm. give us a little bit about, about you, about um, Blackstone Publishing that you work for and, and sort of, one of some of the things you do? Yes. Um, so my full-time job is as director producer for Blackstone Publishing. Uh, I have a studio in New York City where I work with narrators every single day and authors uh, recording and directing um, audiobooks. I probably do somewhere around 80 audiobooks a year for Blackstone. Wow. Um, I also do casting sometimes, just depending on if there's a project that maybe requires uh, a lot of different narrators or if my boss just has some extra stuff to hand off to me. So I do that as well. And uh, I want to say about five years ago, I thought to myself, well, I love this so much. Uh, what if what if I narrated? <laughs> what if I gave it a shot? So um, I had been full time at a studio. And when I went freelance, uh, I decided to give narrating a shot. So I've been doing that for about five years. And it's it was a long road. <laughs> it's yeah. still a long road. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's so much that goes into this business. And um, I, I was fortunate enough to sort of, I, I just sort of um, was searching for you on ACX, which is the you know, Audiobook Creation Exchange, for those who aren't familiar with it, uh, Amazon's kind of branch of the... Um, audio publishing space where, where it's a kind of a, a forum where narrators can connect with authors and I was browsing through uh, different um, you know audition tapes and things like that well not tapes but uh, recordings of, of various narrators based on my particular search and I ran across your voice and um, I just instantly fell in love with your voice it was just I'm like <laughs> yes this is the one this is absolutely the right one for my book and we ended up um, you know connecting off of ACX um, and making an arrangement that way before we ever ever started publishing the book. But um, what is the typical method for? Um, well, maybe there isn't a typical method. But what? How do yeah. how do authors normally connect with narrators? In your experience, right? Um, I mean, all of that is so new. The indie market is so new, uh, and ACX really just started booming about five or six years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of it was authors just starting to self-publish on Amazon and starting to self-publish their audiobooks through ACX. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was just narrators going on and auditioning. I think that has sort of changed over time where now a lot more narrators are doing what you did where they look for who they want and they reach out to them directly, mm -hmm. which is time-consuming in a different way. But, you know, if you have to listen to 
50 or 100 auditions because that's how many pile in when you post your book to ACX. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of time and work to find somebody and to weed through things that just aren't the right person. So I think a lot more people are doing what you did and they're taking the time to sort of go through people's demos and look for something where you go, oh, that's the voice I hear in my head. Yeah. And I was very fortunate, I, I thought, um, when I found you, because I found your voice, and of course, immediately, I wanted the, the voice, but then when I went actually and researched you, and went on your website, and I'm like, and I saw some of the, the big name talent you'd worked for, and I'm like, I saw pictures of like Samuel L. Jackson, and Claire Danes, and Michelle <laughs> Obama, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, this, this woman's, you know, a heavy hitter, like, what's, what's going on here? And um, so I was, you know, thrilled to find out that your voice came with this sort of whole professional background that I was mm-hmm. blown away by. But um, not everyone's going to find that necessarily with, with the voice that they like. But yeah. uh, what are some of the things we should be looking for as authors as far as when it comes to the talent behind the voice? I think that's a really great question because um, I found that sometimes uh, uh, authors will be drawn to voices that aren't necessarily great narrators because mm-hmm. it sounds like they're excited when they're narrating, but a lot of narration is very subdued. It's very subtle. Mm-hmm. It should sound like how we speak. We're going to listen to somebody speak for 8, 10, 12 hours. Mm-hmm. You don't want to feel bombarded with excitement. You want someone to draw you in and make you lean in and listen to them. So I think making sure that you find someone that sounds very conversational, that sounds exactly like they would speak in real life when they're doing it. You don't want to find anything false. You don't want to hear someone overemphasizing their diction because it's weird. (laughs) But a lot of people end up doing that because they think they have to um, be somebody else when they're narrating. But your biggest asset is that you're you. I'm not necessarily right for every audiobook. I'm surely not right for every audiobook as a narrator. But I am right for the books that I get hired for because people are looking for sort of a young sounding voice that has a little bit of edge to it. I've got a little bit of gravel. You know, I, my diction isn't great, but it's not bad. You you can understand everything I'm saying. So you're you know, every person, every person as a narrator can be really good at this, but you should be yourself at this. Mm. Um so you want to find somebody that has the qualities you're looking for and sounds really authentic and natural. I think those are great points. And one of the things that I especially appreciate, when we first started out um, kind of communicating about the characters in, in my book, um, we ended up swapping around some of the voices I remember. Right? So you had sort of a, an angsty teenage boy voice, and um, you had done it in one of the demos. And I'm like, you know, this is, this is a great voice, but it needs to be this different character. This, other, this yes. other boy is more angsty. Can he be the angsty one? And then can, give you, can you come up with a different voice? And I, do you think that it's good as a narrator to sort of have certain almost like archetypes that you kind of draw on like for your voice or how do you do that? I definitely think that I like to call it uh, the roster. You have your, your basic go-to roster of characters that you go to, but then you make variations on it. So yeah. So, um, angsty boy, angsty teenage boys, um, I sort of put a smirk on my face and then I start talking like this and this is like my angsty teenage boy voice. But then, you know, then you can start to sort of move that around and say, well, he's not just this lighthearted guy. Like, what if he's um, a little shy? Mm. And then you take this voice and you kind of change your face and your shoulders and then he starts to sound a little more insecure. Um, And you can just start to, like, make these little shifts and changes on these things that are very easy go-tos that I can do. But that voice can, you know, move around and become a lot of different people. Yeah. Um, But I, because there were two male characters in your your book, 
um, that were protagonists, I had to do something completely different from that because you didn't want them to get confused at all. So that right. was, you know, the the other boy wasn't at all even close to that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, which, which is something that um, I think obviously some authors wonder how to choose the gender of their narrator when they've got multiple characters and say, well, they've got to be able to do a male's voice, but they've also got to be able to do you know, adult male versus young girl. Um, yeah. And one of the things that I was impressed, I was impressed by your, your talents, and um, I don't personally want someone to try to sound too hard like yeah. the other gender. I just want them almost to give them the impression of it. Like, can you give some advice uh, for people like as far as what should they expect when they're getting someone to, to switch yeah. gender roles? I think I think that's actually this is one of the main things that I work on with a lot of the students that I teach mm. because um, for both men and women uh, when you're a woman narrating a book uh, especially because there's so much romance on the market we all end up doing romance books and it says mm. he had the deepest voice I'd ever heard in my life and yeah. it becomes this little thing in your brain where you're like oh my god I have to make his voice so deep and our first inclination is to try to make his voice sound like this we try to make it sound really deep yeah. one. It's not sustainable. Yeah. Two, you can really hurt yourself. And three, you're never going to sound like a man. That doesn't sound like a man. That sounds like a woman sounding awkwardly trying to sound like a man. Right. So what I usually try to do is keep most of my protagonists in this little range in my voice. So mm. um, I've got high end and low end in my voice. And I'll put a guy right at the bottom end. I'll isolate him right here. This is my natural voice. And I'll put a woman up at the top end. And then when you hear my whole voice, you can see it's actually just the top and bottom of my natural voice. So I'm not moving things up and down, and it always sounds really natural. Oh, and wow. it's never it's not necessarily the deepest male voice, but all you really need is enough distinction mm -hmm. to hear the difference between people. Yeah. Um, and the same thing happens with men, too. Men oftentimes, you know, will, like, pitch women up too high. But, like, I don't have a high-pitched voice for a woman. So we have to go back to this question is this question of, um, what do things sound like in real life? Yeah. So, if a woman if a woman doesn't sound like this in real life, then you can't do that, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. I think that echoes back to what you said early on. If you like your normal speaking voice, if you like your narrator's typical speaking voice, you're probably going to like the high end and low end of that particular voice, and it's going to be pleasant sounding to your ears. Um, so that's that's interesting way to put it. I hadn't even thought of it that way, but. Um, that's perfect. So, um, so obviously you do some coaching as well, but yes. one of the things that, you know, it, there's a lot of education and a lot of work that goes into your end of the business that the average author or reader probably doesn't necessarily understand. You know, some people think, oh, mm -hmm. audiobook, someone's just reading a book, but mm -hmm. you're not just reading, you're performing a book. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about what's, what that involves as far as what you have to kind of bring to the table to even... In this game? That's a lot to unpack. Yeah. Uh, so um, when I'm coaching people, the main two things that I focus on are authenticity and comprehension. Um, uh, if you are doing anything that is inauthentic, it takes away from comp comprehending the moment. And that can be anything like um, some people will start to punch the words when they talk and they'll end up with a rhythm and this is antithetical to human speech. And it becomes hard to actually understand what a person's talking about because you're being lulled by a rhythm that mm -hmm. has nothing to do with content. So um, everything that we're looking for is um, let's sound like real life. Let's be authentic and natural. And authentic and natural 
it goes in a lot of directions. The same thing I just talked about with the voice, with not pitching things too high or too low. It's not natural. It's not authentic. Yeah. Um, and then that also loses on comprehension because if it doesn't sound like a real woman, then she's not able to have realistic emotional content. Um, you know, or even just the asking of questions. Uh, if every question ends with a question going up, yeah. we sort of lose the comprehension of that moment because we know when we hear something, if it's a question, even if it's not asked like a question. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my favorite questions that I do in class is, um, what did you have for breakfast? So go ahead and ask me, what did you have for breakfast? Uh, what did you have for breakfast? Great. And now I have really bad breath. Now ask me again. What did you have for breakfast? Yeah. See, there's judgment in there. Oh, I know yeah. it's a question, right? <laughs> or like, um, I look okay, but you're feeling sick. Now go ahead and ask me again. If I'm if I'm feeling sick, you're feeling sick, but I look okay, and you want to know what I had for breakfast. Oh, what did what did you have for breakfast? Right, and then the emphasis changes, and so we're always going for that comprehension thing. It's not about just saying the words out loud. What did you have for breakfast? If I yeah. say it like that, I don't know if you're judging me, and I don't know if you feel sick. So we have to uh, get to what this moment truly means. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, and this is something I think a lot of, well, I've heard this, at least in the indie space, and it's probably less, well, I guarantee it's less common in the traditional space, uh, unless you're in maybe a nonfiction where you know the author reads, reads the, um, the book. But... Um, some some authors have you know considered trying to read their own books starting out, um, and obviously there's a lot of work that goes into this. Mm-hmm. Besides, and besides just the voice talent required, um, what are some of the technical requirements behind the scenes that that you would say are, are like? How do I want to phrase this question? Um, you want to know requirements? Should, should should an author narrate their own book? <laughs> Why or why not? Yeah. What's the what's the what's the pro cons here? Yeah. So, I love when an author reads a memoir. I think that's beautiful, perfect, and you don't have to sound like a professional. We don't expect it. We don't need it, yeah. um, because we want to hear you tell your story. Again, that goes back to that idea of authenticity. You don't have to put on a show or sound like a narrator or what you think is a narrator. I just need to hear you tell your story. So I love authors reading their own memoirs. Authors reading fiction, that's another story, although I did direct an author reading her fiction book that comes out, I think, on Tuesday. Okay. It's, uh, it's called To Keep the Sun Alive, but she also had uh, a theatrical background. Mm. She's not working as an actor, um, but she did have theatrical training, and it took us a little bit of time. She came in to do a training session with me, but pretty much immediately, I saw that she was directable. I'm not looking for perfection with authors. I'm always looking for directable. Can this person understand what I'm looking for and move in that direction? So that's a lot of what I look for. And she did a great job. I would say for the most part, undertaking a fiction project as an author is a lot of headache. And I know Mm -hmm. a lot of authors, like you hear voices in your head and you wrote these words and you you want them said right. And I promise that a professional narrator is going to do it justice in a way that maybe an author can't quite express. Right. So I think that when it comes to fiction, you should hire an, an actor for sure. Yeah, I, and I agree. I, that's the advice I always give anyone who asks me. Um, yeah. Just in, and also just in the matter of time, some people don't understand the amount of 
uh, time and work behind the scenes that, that also goes into the editing and mastering um, of the recording because people see the per finished hour uh, number and the price and think, oh my gosh, you know, three hundred dollars, so much money, five hundred dollars a finished hour. Like, how can it cost that much money? But you know, it might cost you more. Like sitting there reading it yourself, like you might take all day to get an hour of audio done, whereas a, a professional narrator might be able to do it in you know three. Like you know, it, so can you yeah. talk a little bit about that, about the the time behind the scenes and yeah, how that works? So. Um, when you have a finished hour rate, and especially if you're talking about the indie market on stuff on ACX, you're not just paying for your narrator, you're paying for production costs as well, production and post-production. Um, so let's just talk about a narrator first. Um, we like to talk about things in ratios. So I would say the average narrator has a two and a half to one ratio, two and a half hours in the recording booth for one finished hour of audio. Most of the narrators on ACX are self-recording and that ratio may go up a little higher. It may be more like three or three and a half. And some people are really super fast and they are closer to two to one. But I like to say on average, most people are two and a half hours in the booth for one finished hour. So already, let's just say you're looking at 200 per finished hour. It took that person two and a half hours to make that $200, right? right. And then you think, well, that's still a great amount of money. But they had to read the book ahead of time. Mm -hmm. They had to prep it. So... Well, they're not really getting paid for their time in the booth. They're getting paid for their time in the booth plus their time prepping your book. Mm -hmm. And that could also be a one to three to one ratio, depending on how difficult it is. How much do they have to? How much research do they have to do? How many terms do they have to look up? If it's fiction and it's lighthearted, there's going to be less research. But if there's French, if there's any Latin, if yeah, there's any accents. complicated accents, if there's anything that they have to do sort of a any research on, the time it takes to prep the book becomes a laborious task that they need compensation for. And then when you start to tack on production and post-production costs, it can get really expensive. So for me, I don't have a home studio. I go to my friend's studio out in Queens, and he gives me a, a, a self-record rate. So I actually have to pay for recording time, whereas a lot of people have their own booths, and so it's sort of free. Um, so I have to include that rate into my record rate. And then there's also post-production. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, post-production I usually think of as a three-to-one ratio as well so if I have one finished hour of audio it's gonna take my editor three hours to edit and QC which is quality control that one hour of audio yeah. and I, I usually budget 75 per finished hour for that so you're talking about $25 per hour for someone who ha is, has an elite skill mm -hmm. to edit your audio to master your audio and also has enough skill in the English language to know when things are incorrect, when you pronounce things wrong, when mm. you, you emphasize the wrong word and it passed on the wrong comprehension. You're talking about a skilled group of people putting these audiobooks together. Yeah, absolutely. So at the end of the day, um, I would say for me, like 325 to 350 per finished hour on ACX is about the lowest I can go and still make money doing it. Right. Yeah, and I think that's a valuable um, number for people to see because, you know, and some people are... Uh, members of the Screen Actors Guild or have, have minimum, you know, do things like that that you have to factor in if, if you're an actor. Um, and also, you know, of course, like, like you said, if people go too much lower than that, the quality of your finished product is going to, you know, show. Um, yep. If people are just going on ACX and thinking, oh gosh, well, I can find somebody who's willing to do this for 50 to 100 bucks a, a finished hour, your end result, you're, it's definitely going to be a get, get what you pay for kind of a scenario. Yeah. Um, you can lose quality on 
the talent, and you can also lose quality on uh, just the audio itself. Mm. So you're paying for all of those different things. You want your stuff to sound as professional as possible. Um, and and unfortunately, no, nobody can work for free, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of audio quality, uh, Matthew Taylor comments and called me out about being sick. So I, I do sound different today, uh, Matthew. Yeah. Thanks for, for noticing. Uh, yeah. He says, hello from Lincoln. Uh, Marilyn says, I love all your voices, Jamie. Very talented. Oh, thank um, you. So, and if anyone else is watching, uh, Neil Helgers is watching, um, former oh. guest of the show. Neil's uh, also a narrator, and uh, you know Neil, Jamie? Yep, we're yeah. friends. So, um, speaking of excellent audio narrators, there's you know, another one on, on the line here. So, hi, Neil. Thanks for, for saying hello to us. Yeah, um, and, and I apologize because all of a sudden, two hours ago, I lost my voice, so... <laughs> Yeah, we decided to to record the you know the show in the middle of the, you know winter during like everyone gets sick season. This was not probably the, my fault for for scheduling this right after the holidays. It's perfect. Let's be immortalized um, as sickly, voiceless people. <laughs> exactly. The internet's forever. So um, Matthew Taylor says, "I refuse to listen to audiobooks if I can't stand the narrator." Um, mm-hmm. and that that's a valid point, and. Um, yeah, you know, I, I definitely think that it's probably a good idea to obviously listen to quite a few narrators, maybe get a few other people's opinions. Um, what is your advice on that, on how to find, narrow it down? Like, Obviously, talent is, is, a, is a big factor. Any other big factors we should be looking for? Uh, you mentioned um, ease of listening, like you don't want to wear the, wear the listener out. Yeah. Um, any other things that, that people should be looking for? In Like what is good narration? Yeah, as far as like trying to decide between narrators. Um, yeah. Any other factors I, that you think are, are big ones? I mean, when I'm casting, uh, I, I luckily know a lot of narrators. And so as I'm reading a book, I start to hear someone's voice in my head. And then maybe I toggle between two different voices in my head mm-hmm. and try to see who feels like the most like this voice that's coming off the page. And And when you're an author, you're very close to that text. And so I think you're just looking for somebody where like, the vibe that they put off when they narrate is like, yeah, this feels like this feels like my guy. This feels like my girl. Okay, I okay, I get this. And uh, you know, I think there can be a lot of right answers. I think there are a lot of people who could have narrated the book that I did for you. Mm. I think there are a lot more people that couldn't have because you had an idea in your head of sort of a style you were looking for. And mm. I think. I think um, this is uh, something that's hard for a lot of narrators that, uh, that uh, you know, they want to be right for everything, and you can't be, and that's okay. You don't need to be. Um, I'm going to be right for the projects I get hired for. That's sort of my own mantra. I'm not mm-hmm. right for the projects I don't get hired for, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do, you, how do you find somebody? I don't know. I mean, there's, you know... If you're talking 10 years ago, there were 200 people narrating audiobooks, and now there's probably like 20,000. I don't know how many how many narrators there are, but um, there are so many people now. So I think it's just about being involved in the community at large, listening to audiobooks, and sort of writing down people's names so that you remember, who do I like? And they may not be right for your book, but maybe your next book they are. Yeah. And one of the things I want to maybe touch on is why now? Like, th- there is a boom in audio narration, but there's also a boom in audio. Um, 
podcasting has blown up yeah. in the last decade. Um, audiobooks in general have blown up. So what are some of the reasons from your perspective why authors should be taking the leap into audio if they haven't already? Why, can I, why is now a, the good time to be doing that? Yeah, I mean, as far as like economic reasons, mm. um, the audiobook industry is keeping the publishing industry afloat. Mm. Audiobooks sell so well compared to print and physical. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you've got a book, you should definitely make the investment, but make the investment, make it good. Mm -hmm. Um, why did it change? Um, I, I think there are a number, a number of things and people like podcasts for the same reason that they like audiobooks. People like to be told stories. Mm -hmm. And honestly, if you think about the human experience, this is the oldest form of art that we have, right? The second we had language, we had stories. This goes back to the caves and people telling the stories of, you know, the origin of their people. Um, so it feels good. I think it's very human to want someone to tell you a story. Mm. So now that um, audio is so portable, yeah, it's, it's easy to participate where it used to be um, carry these 18 cassettes around with you. Yeah. Or carry yeah, these, right yeah, phone. carry these eight discs around in your car, and now you can have ten audiobooks downloaded on your phone, and you can swap between them and listen at any time. And with yeah. WhisperSync, you can read on your Kindle and then switch to the audiobook when you're cooking or in the car. Yeah. I mean, it makes it so easy to participate in the experience where it didn't used to be quite so easy. And now, you know, especially after everyone just got to open all their Christmas presents, you can just have your Amazon Echo read you one while you're cooking dinner. Oh, really? And say, oh, hey, you know, um, I'm not going to say your name because anyone who might be listening uh, might activate it. But um, you know the, the, the one who, of whom I speak, <laughs> and she can read you an, she read you an audio book. That's um, so weird. Yeah, and I think that that's just the way things are going, where yeah. in the future we will just be, I mean, voice is powerful, like you said, yeah. it's innate to us, mm -hmm. and the more we spend time driving and commuting, and or even just working from home, um, yeah. the more time we have to, to listen, and I think that's, that's fantastic. Um, one more thing I wanted to, to touch on. Well, I have you because um, you know it's it's so nice to have someone on on your side of the the fence to be able to explain these things. Is uh, do you have any tips for continuing a good relationship with your neighbor? So from the say you have chosen someone, you found someone, um, and you've maybe given them an audition script, etc. And there's you you've got someone set up you want to make a contract with and, and record something. What are some tips for making that a smooth process from your side of things? Uh, what are some things that maybe writers could do to make your job easier starting? Yeah. Again? Well, I would definitely say that the process of narrating on the indie market is very different than the process of narrating for the publishing world. Okay. In the publishing world, I get hired by a publisher. They send me a book to narrate. I write them if I have any questions, things I can't find pronunciations for, or if I find a typo, and they 100% trust every choice I make with mm -hmm. that book. Yeah. There are no questions. Nobody writes me back and says, we didn't like this. So it's a very seamless process because they're hiring professional narrators, and they expect that you can do the job, and they know what you're capable of, and they trust you. Yeah. So one of the things I found difficult on the indie scene is that authors... Um, because they're so close to the project, 
they feel left out of the recording part of it and they start to have opinions that become um, they start to like slow down or impede the project mm. and you were really great to work with because you gave me opinions before we started working together you gave me maps and you gave me character descriptions and we talked about character voices and I think we only had one where you were like ah, let's change that but um, okay. for the most part you gave me an outline of what you were looking for and you trusted me and we went forward with it but I have had situations where um, I followed the descriptions on the page and the author has come back and given me wackadoodle ideas and made me change 10 different characters in a book. Mm. And that's not only, not only is it a lot, of, a lot of time for me, like I have to go back and re-record all those things, but then yeah. it's a lot of time for my editor who has to edit all of those things back in. But also, sometimes those choices aren't necessarily the best choices for the book. Right. Like one of them... One of uh, this one book specifically, I had to redo at least four character voices, and one of them was the evil guy. Mm. And the kids couldn't tell if the bad guy was good or bad the first time they met him, and so I wanted to give him a voice where he could be good or he yeah. could be bad, right? Yeah. And after I delivered the audio, she got upset with me because he didn't sound evil enough. And right. I thought, why would you give that away? Yeah. Because you, you want your listener to not be sure as well. So, it, you know, I get that he was the evil guy and he was described as having like a gravelly evil voice. But like yeah. he uh, also they were like, can we trust him? It, like the whole for like 40 pages were, was, can we trust this guy? Yeah. And of course, the second I made him sound evil, the answer is obvious to the listener. No, don't trust yeah. that guy. We He's infer, bad. We infer so much from language, and people don't understand the power of it. You know, we, yeah. we learn as much from the way you say it as what you say. Exactly. That's you know, it's 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 to me, it's way more magical to have someone say, "Don't worry, you can trust me." Yeah. Than to have someone go, don't worry, you can trust me. And yeah. then you're just like, no, no, I can't trust you. You sound horrible. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I think you want to be a little more subtle with it. And I, I, if you've got a good narrator, they're thinking about this stuff, that this is an audio book, that I don't want to give anything away too soon, and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, one of the things that I would recommend for people in, in terms of letting go of the work, like if there's a... A character that you are super precious about and really want to make sure that character sounds exactly how you imagine, like make sure that you put that bit of dialogue or whatever in the audition script when you first put it out there because you don't have to just put a chunk of chapter one. Like you can, mm. you know, do every, you know, whatever characters you really want to hear their voices, make sure that you let the narrator audition, you know, with those voices in mind. That way you're not surprised. Um, at least that's worked for me in the past. Like, and also, I've been very pleasantly surprised by letting go and seeing, well, well let's see what the narrator comes up with. Because oftentimes, um, as occurs frequently in my career, if I just let go and let professionals be professionals, the results end up so much better than if I would have tried to control the process and come yeah. up with my ideas. Yeah. Um, I think that's, I mean, that's true for, you know, even the, the, perf the professional publishing world. Um, I do a lot of directing, and my job is not to tell the narrators how to do their character voices. You know, I I have this running voice in my head as I'm reading, uh -huh. and 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 they're narrating, and I'll hear things and I'll go, hmm, I would have said it like that, 
And then I argue with myself for a second and I say, is the way I'm hearing it in my head the way it has to be? Or is the way I'm hearing it in the, in my head a possibility? Mm-hmm. And if it's just a possibility, then I let them hold on to what they're doing. But my job is to keep making sure that, like, nothing's getting dropped. You know, they're, like, forging ahead. And I'm just like, oh, here's a crumb. Oh, here's this. Oh, oh don't forget this, you know. Um, but it's really about getting out of the way of the actor because they've got a lot on their plate when they're in the booth. You know, they're juggling 50 characters. They have to breathe. They have to drink water. They have to swallow. They have to remember the plot. They have to remember um, what's coming in a page. Is this foreshadowing? Um, They have to do dialogue where they're going between two different characters seamlessly. Um, You know, so, uh, like, it's really important to just say to yourself, okay, this is what this person does, Mm. and they're going to make good choices, Mm -hmm. and I trust them, and it's hard. It is hard. But it's it's a treat, too, though, for the author, because if you just let go, when you go to listen to this, to, to proofread it, for example... You're going to get a nice, pleasant surprise of like the way people have taken characters, and like you're hearing your book come to life in an entirely new way. Yeah, and it's new to you, which is so surprising when you're the author of the book. I'm like, I wrote this book, and it, I'm still, you know, sounding surprised. I'm getting a new treat from this performance. So, um, that was just a lot of fun as far as the experience on my end. I know. Yeah. Um, I've listened to Faster Than Falling, my book, several times um, as. As I prep to write more books, of course, you have to catch back up, and audio is a great way to be like, well, I'm just going to re- listen to it again instead of rereading it, and um, gets you back in the mood a little bit easier. Yeah, that way and and I'm, I'm, I'm curious, because I do know um, some narrators that I work with, they, they're working on book 17 or book 20 of the same series, yeah. and they told, they've told me that they have such a tight relationship with that author, that that author has sort of written characters based on what that narrator can do so they start to like like they felt that the character has come alive in a way that they hadn't expect and it made that character sort of shift and change and become a certain type of thing or oh i know what this person's capable of i'm going to give them this fun thing to play with and i think that's really interesting too that it it can actually make an author think of things in a different way uh, than they would have expected yeah and i actually have started considering how I phrase my sentences slightly based on my, my narrator, you know, like how will this sound when my narrator tries to say it? Is this a tongue twister? You know, and, and uh, Neil has called me out on it before. I know um, I might've mentioned it in a previous episode. I got an email from Neil one time that just had one line that said tarnished brass backsplash. And it said, you bastard. Oh, <laughs> that sounds like Neil. <laughs> yeah. And I, I got a big laugh at it, but I always think of that now. And I'm like, when I'm, when I'm typing, like try not to make yeah. this too challenging. Yeah, I had um, I had that in a book this week, and my narrator could not say the sentence. I think it was "bewitched Samantha." Oh, bewitched, so I, like possessing. Yeah, yeah, bewitched Samantha, and she's yeah. like, "I can't say that." I'm like, "We're gonna say Samantha from Bewitched," because yeah. it was like impossible to not sound ridiculous trying to say "bewitched Samantha." <laughs> it's really hard. Uh, Neil says, "Bring it." All right. Well, that's that's you're asking for it, Neil. That's that's, that's funny. Um, but speaking of your your current work and current projects, can you tell people a little about some of the books that you're working on now that you've got coming out? Maybe if people want to check out some of your uh, voice in action. Yes, um, I have a new book, a new audio book that I narrated coming out on Tuesday, I believe. I'm just going to double check it, okay. and it's called 
uh, Hollywood's Eve. Okay. And it's, um, how do I describe it? It's not, it's sort of a biography of Eve Babbitts, who uh, in this book is sort of um, uh, explained as the Edie Sedgwick of L.A. So she was around at the same time as Edie Sedgwick. She was like a, a, a starlet of the art world, a muse in, Ellen, in Los Angeles. Um, but instead of uh, doing too many drugs and dying, uh, she did too many drugs and became an author. Um, and she wrote, <laughs> she wrote a bunch of books, and apparently she's a really great author. And I bought one of the books, but I haven't finished reading it yet. But it's sort okay. of just this, like, um, discovery of Eve Babbitt's, and I loved it. I just I thought Eve was such an interesting person to discover. Um, so Hollywood's Eve, that comes out on, yep, Tuesday, the January 8th. Um, and then... Let's see. Books that I've been working on for Blackstone. What's been really good? Oh, I already mentioned To Keep the Sun Alive, which um, uh, is coming out on Tuesday as well. It's the author who narrated her own fiction book. Yep. That that book I'm very excited about. I think it's going to be great. Um, let me see what else I did recently. Um, oh, I did a book called Edinburgh by um, Alexander Chee. And uh, it's... Um, Oh, God, it's sad and tragic and beautiful. And um, Daniel K. Isaac from Billions is one of the narrators. And Josh Hurley is one of the other narrators. And it's fantastic. And um, my favorite, one of my favorite books from last year that I, I uh, recorded and directed was uh, Unholy Land, hmm. narrated by Andrew Fillets. And it is uh, a weird book that's sort of like, uh, an alternate reality of if uh, what if um, the Jewish people moved to East Africa and made that their holy land and uh, 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 the Holocaust never happened but wow. it's also um, sort of a, 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 a weird noir PI book but, <laughs> but also it's mystical wow. um, and it's written very strangely and is it's just um i don't know i just thought it was beautiful and interesting and weird and i love that that's really cool it sounds yeah. like a fascinating mashup of all the history and all kinds of stuff there yeah where's the best people, p place for people to find um your books or people what stuff you've worked on um uh audible.com is great um blackstone has their own uh download site it's called downpour so downpour.com is great um I think everything's on iTunes, audiobooks.com, Overdrive. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. any any of those apps, is they're all good. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Well, your voice and your work are everywhere, and uh, hopefully we'll continue to be for a long time. Yay! <laughs> but, um, Jamie, that we've you know blown through our half hour pretty good, so um, thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to be here. and It's been an honor and a pleasure to, to hang out with you again. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. All right, thanks everyone for watching, and we'll see you again uh, next week for another episode.